1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to What Fresh Hell Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
0: This is Margaret and today I am talking to Amy Palangian. Amy is the creator of yummytoddlerfood.com, author of the New York Times best selling book, Dinner Time SOS, and mama to her three. Kids. Welcome, Amy. Hi. Thanks for having me. I loved this book. I will give our listeners a behind the scenes. As interviewers, we get a PDF of the book, and I loved this book. I don't even have toddlers. And I went (laughs) and I ordered it from Amazon, my own copy last night. So that is a big compliment to this book because I was like, I can't have it on PDF. I have to have it to open and look through. What I love about this book is that it's a cookbook fundamentally, but really it's about how we approach food with our children, which is so hard and complicated. It is Something I carry, my kids are now uh, tweens and teens, and I feel like this is an area that haunts me. I failed. I didn't do a good job with food. I messed it up. My kids never ate sweet potato tacos, they just ate chicken nuggets. (laughs) You know, I panic about this. Why is food so
2: loaded for us and the way we feed our kids? So the thing that you just explained there is like a perfect example of how we use what our kids will and won't eat and what they like and don't like as a measure of our success as a parent. Correct. And that is not actually how you know if you're successful as a parent. (laughs) And it's like the wrong set of criteria. And there's so much cultural pressure to have kids that eat like kale and roasted broccoli and smashed Brussels sprouts and like all of this stuff that none of us ate as we were kids. And we're also bombarded with images. Like every time we go anywhere on the internet of food that is like taken out of context. And so it sets us up to fail, frankly, because we're not seeing the reality of what it's like to feed a family or what it feels like to be part of a meal. And like both of those things matter a lot. So I tried in the cookbook, most of all, to give everyone like a giant permission slip to take a breath and to know that like, honestly, the food is very minimally important when we're looking at the bigger picture of our relationship with our kids and our kids' relationship with food as they grow. It is like a vehicle, but it's not the most important thing. The book captures that, I feel like, so... Well, and
0: I mean, I come to cookbooks for families and kids with a very gimlet eye because I feel like when I had those cookbooks, it was like, next recipe will be kale talk. I'm like, literally, this is useless to me. And I love you say in the book, I will never tell you that my kids eat everything I make because they don't. And that's actually not ever my goal. My goal is to make meals that are happy, i.e., as few tears as possible, and satisfying where we can connect and catch up and fill our bellies. Yeah. It's so simple, but like what a
2: revolutionary idea that is, I feel. I know. It's a very different way to approach feeding a family than what we typically hear. And it's so straightforward. It's not like I've like reinvented something. It is like someone the other day was like, you're the most pragmatic creator I follow. And I was like, that is like the best compliment. I'm like, I like being pregnant.
0: Why is that so revolutionary, though, to say like food is hard, we're going to try, here's some ideas, but it felt like such a breath of like relief to me, the idea that this is not some test. And I mean, I know, and it's funny, because in every other aspect of my parenting, I'm extremely resistant to like the Instagramification of parenthood. But for some reason around food, I see one picture of like a bunch of kids sitting around a table all eating happily. And it's foods that my kids wouldn't eat. And I'm just like, well, that's it. Right. It stabs me in the heart.
2: (laughs) Well, and like, that was like three seconds that may or may not have been real. And like you're just putting all of the judgment on yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of pictures in the book, and kids, uh, these are your kids, and they are eating. But there's something very, it looks like a real group of people. Like it looks like a real family. It doesn't look like
2: 86 set designers came in. And, you know, what's interesting, we originally were supposed to do that part of the shoot in a studio. And I was like, we need to do this in my house. It's not going to look right if it's in a studio. And my publisher was like, well, we can control a studio a lot more. And then, so I was like, all right, like they wouldn't agree to have it in my house. And then, We had to cancel the shoot because one of my kids got sick and we wound up doing it in my house. And I was like, thank you, universe, because it feels right because it's exactly
0: right. It looks like real people. It looks like maybe there's a kid who is, you know, not eating everything. It just looks like real, like reality. And I do think, I mean, food is just so deep. And we've talked a lot about our own relationships with food on the podcast and and trying to kind of break some cycles about that. Another thing you say in the book that really resonated with me is, how you talk about food and not using terms like healthy food, just using the name of food. So like a cookie isn't bad and broccoli isn't good. And that again, seems like, okay, what are you from Mars? (laughs) This is crazy talk, you know, like how could we just talk about food as food?
2: Yeah, there's, well, so I try to be honest and truthful with my kids. And as soon as you start getting into labeling something, as healthy or not healthy, like kids are very straightforward and they want to know, well, like why? And once you start having to explain something like that to a small child, you realize just how much you're kind of making it up because a lot of it winds up not being true. So I just have found, because I did that in the beginning and then I was like, I feel like I'm spending my life trying to talk this small person using logic, like into something And that is not the way that a small child comes to a meal. They come to a meal like wanting it to look appealing and wanting it to taste good. We're never going to like convince them to eat a certain way based on like the amount of vitamin C or vitamin A or fiber in it. Like, you know, like adults can't be convinced to eat certain ways based on nutrition. Like it still has to taste really good. So I just found that I was like winding up, like tripping over my own words. And so I just stopped. And I just have like adopted this thing where we literally just call the food what it is. And the kids over time see us eating different foods at different times. And it like they will know intuitively based on the culture in our house, what we eat more of and what we eat less of and what mommy buys at the store. And there doesn't have to be this like huge nutrition education component to feeding kids because they're going to pick it up from watching you and they're going to get confusing messaging everywhere else. And so I want us to be able to come to the table and eat from what I've put there because that's my job and not have it be the kid's responsibility to like make quote unquote good choices at their meals. Because that's not age appropriate. Like I had this conversation with my 11 year old the other day about the options in the cafeteria and how sometimes the school is telling them to like make quote unquote healthy choices. And we were talking about if the school is putting food in the cafeteria that they don't want the kids to have. That's not a fair dynamic. They're making the kids do something that is an adult job, which is deciding what the food available is. So I just want as much as possible to simplify this for my kids when they're with me and just have the meals be like more fun than that dynamic is. Maybe it's fun for some people. I do not find that fun. I was
0: so tied in knots about this when my kids were young and we just had a lot of fighting at the table. I will say you emphasize a rule in talking about how to make family dinners work that someone told me a long time ago, it was the most useful piece of advice about nutrition or or meal times it had nothing to do with nutrition that was you can talk about anything at the table except for food and that really did help our family in terms of we're not going to talk about what we like and we don't like and this is gross and do I have to this and do I have to eat 3 bites of this and then you get dessert like making food not the center of the conversation. And it kind of pulls you out of a lot of battles around food as well. Yeah. It
2: immediately opens up the opportunity to like have actual conversations. Yes. <laughs> and to not have like every meal become that thing that we were talking about in the beginning where it's like a a chance for you to prove your worth or for the kids to like prove something. Like, we just need to take that out of the equation. Um, and it's, you know, it's not easy. A lot of this is incredibly difficult right. to do. Right. We're making it sound maybe a little too facile. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying, like, we get to the dinner and everyone is, like, delighted to be there and they're, you know, so happy with the <laughs> options. Oh, like, mother, you've
0: done such a great job making me this meal. No, doesn't happen. Everyone sits
2: still. Yeah, like... It's not that. It's just removing part of it that creates a lot of pressure that can make the rest of it easier. Not necessarily easy, but easier. But easier. That's
0: what we're going for. I am talking to Amy Palangian, the author of Dinner Time SOS, and we'll be right back.
1: Say and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. So I have been taking my Nutrafol regularly and oh my goodness, it works. Friends, I'm here to say... Ditto. It works. I mean, most of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. And yes, it's perfectly normal. But if you also see your part getting a little wider, join the over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number
0: one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing
1: thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your age, your lifestyle factors, because a one-size-fits-all approach to hair products isn't practical. Nutrafol
0: supports healthy hair growth by targeting key root causes of thinning, like stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism. So
1: take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code LAUGHING.
0: Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend NutraFall for healthier hair. NutraFall.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code laughing. That's
1: NutraFall.com, promo code laughing.
0: So let's talk a little bit about people who haven't seen the book. And I know myself, my old self listening to this podcast is like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about kids who don't eat? But if I gave my kids choices, they would always just eat bread and leave the table. But my kids are going to leave the table hungry. And you do dial into these questions. I want to be clear. It's a cookbook with beautiful pictures and recipes, but there are like interstitials, as we used to call them in television, that kind of break in and give really lovely and approachable tips about how to make these things practically work. So when you talk about offering choices and trying to take the focus off of food Let's talk for a moment to the person who might have been me that is like constantly panicking. I had a very, very um, restricted eater. And uh, I will say for parents dealing with this, it just got better over time. It really did. It just opened up. I don't know if it was texture or this is a child who had some other developmental issues, whatever was going on, it got better over time. But when I heard a lot of advice, I kept thinking, well, that's not my kid. That's not my kid. My kid would always just eat a roll and leave. And so how do we temper kind of big picture eating advice for people who have kids who maybe feel like that advice doesn't for them?
2: So first I would check in with your pediatrician. If you have specific concerns, talk about them there because you can have like iron levels tested. You can make sure that the child is growing. You can make sure that they're on their own growth curve. Remember that pediatricians don't always have a lot of nutrition training. So you may get some advice that is not necessarily going to line up with what I'm saying and I am not a pediatrician. I'm just saying to take, sometimes we need to take, anyway, that is like a whole other thing. But if there are, like, are specific concerns, like if you're concerned about iron, if you're concerned about protein, if you're concerned about growth, those things can be checked. And if they're checked and there is not a problem, then you let that go. If they're checked and there is a problem, then you have a solution which might be a supplement. It might be working with a feeding therapist for one-on-one help, which if you have like a very selective eater, that's gonna be a better option for you than going to the internet because you're gonna get a lot of advice that doesn't work for you. And then I would say, if you have a child who is old enough to communicate with you, sit down together and make a list of all of the meals that child likes. Like even if that list is plain buttered pasta, grilled cheese, like even if it's super basic things, make the list together and make it a thing that you're doing like to have fun and to like be together. And then, so what we did this in my house and I have it on the fridge. And so whenever I'm planning our meals for the week or I'm not sure what to make, I look at that list and I'm like, we're gonna pick something from here. And it might be as easy as like you then serve the chicken Parmesan you had planned to serve with pasta all assembled together in different components on the table. So one kid can have the plain pasta with their milk and strawberries. Everyone else can assemble their dish all together and eat it mixed. Like I think the idea, we have to get rid of this idea that we're catering to kids if we're adjusting meals to meet them where they are because everyone is an individual and it's not really fair to expect everyone in our families to like food the same way like that we're just so different and there are ways that you can serve the same foods and then allow freedom within that and like that's the place where i have found a lot of freedom like last night i made pasta i had warm marinara sauce on the side we had caesar salad chicken nuggets and strawberries So like I put my pasta with the sauce, I cut up the chicken and then I put like sheep's milk cheese on top. And it was like this delicious mix of textures and flavors. And then each of my kids had like a different assortment of those foods. One of them was not better than the other. And we all ate from what was there. It's just changing like the way that you're thinking about presenting the food. This also works with like, if you take something like a burrito bowl and you have like a baking tray, you can put all the ingredients for that on the tray and then everyone can serve themselves. And then if you're concerned about like, well, my kid only eats the rice or the bread or the cheese, like zoom out to see what they're eating over the course of a whole week. You probably will have different food groups in there. Like in the case of a, a very extreme selective eater, you you may not. And that would be the time to get some outside advice. But for most kids, It is going to look much more diverse if you zoom way out. And then remember, like, especially for toddlers, they will go through phases where they want like only berries or only cheese or only chicken nuggets or only like pasta with pesto or some specific thing. And they like, they don't eat the way that like the, my plate and like all of the diagrams about food, like they just, people just don't eat that way. And just knowing that like, he's really in his blueberry phase and we're going to like lean into this until there are no more. And then he'll find like, I think that that is also can also be framed just to be like, well, this is normal. Like this is where he is and he loves this food and isn't that great. And as you said, I think Taking Again, I mean, if
0: you listen to this podcast and don't know I'm not a doctor, we've got bigger problems, but I'm not a doctor either. But right, most kids are getting enough nutrition, like they're growing, it's generally okay. And I think that idea, which this, there's some beautiful recipe ideas in the book that allow for like, these kind of choices. And it makes me think of Thanksgivings throughout my history as a mom with my kids. So like, We have been having Thanksgiving for 15, I have a 15-year-old, 15 Thanksgivings. And all of them started with a roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then a roll and a little bit of turkey. And then like, oh, what is that stuffing? It kind of smells good. Now I have a kid who's like insane for Thanksgiving stuffing. I make it like once a month at home. And mashed potatoes, they're also white. And okay, then we'll try the plain green beans. Now we're into the casserole. Like this is an evolution. And I think that the grace of this book is that this is how I am too. I don't like the weird potatoes
2: with marshmallows on top. That's gross to me. Like who would eat that? Also, like we're comparing the way that we eat adults with our like lifetime of experience with food and using that as the expectation for how kids should eat. And like, that's not fair. And like, and also like you're saying, like we adults don't often recognize the fact that we don't like every food. And how would we feel if someone was making every decision about food for us? Like that would feel pretty terrible. Yeah. And there's foods like I don't eat oysters, right? If
0: I had to, if I sat down at a table and someone was like, you're not leaving this table Do you eat four oysters, that would be my worst night ever. Like it's, Gross to me. And then I know other people for whom that's their, you know, favorite luxury food. But yeah, I think that taking a perspective that is just less pressured around food is so helpful. And that the idea that this, again, not trying to give medical advice, but the idea of like, this is probably okay. Where most kids are is probably okay with food. And another point you make that someone told me a long time ago, and it's again like scales falling from the eyes, is that we put so much emphasis on dinner as a meal, and that dinner is actually not the greatest meal to focus on. Kids sometimes aren't hungry at dinner time. They've snacked a lot. They're tired. They've got other things on their mind. Talk a little bit about dinner and why we kind of overemphasize dinner. And that's sometimes where we go off course.
2: Yeah, you'll see all those studies about how like having family dinner can basically prevent like every bad thing from ever happening to your child. <laughs> sure, your kid will definitely go to Harvard if you have family dinner, walk in touchdown. That's like a classic example of like, correlation, not causation. Like, is that the thing? Or is it like the rest of the way that that family lives? Oh, it's our favorite (laughs) topic on the podcast. Don't get me started on the marshmallow test. I'm like, that is not testing patience. So I think we're putting all the emphasis on the meal when the kids are the most tired, the adults are the most tired. And there are most usually foods that are more difficult to eat. And then when you have younger kids It's actually very common for little kids not to be hungry at dinner, not because of snacking, but because a lot of kids front load their intake earlier in the day. And then at the end of the day, they want comfort and they want to go to sleep. And so a lot of kids... Like the most common question I get is, why won't my 14 month old eat? Why won't my 17 month old eat? They used to eat everything. And it's like because their growth has slowed down in comparison to when they were a baby and they are just wiped out at that time of the day. So if you can, if you can remember that and like, we don't have to save vegetables just for dinner. I think that's like part of why vegetables can be so, there are a lot of reasons why kids don't want to eat vegetables. But part of it is because we're saving them for this time of the day when they just like they're hungry. If they're hungry, they can be very hungry. And they just want to eat something that's easy to chew and comforting. And we're asking them to like, you know, go above and beyond and have this like sensory experience with something that they don't see all that often. So like, this is one of the reasons that I use produce and vegetables in a lot of recipes, in a lot of different ways, is to sort of just like make them more commonly distributed throughout normal life. So like we'll put vegetables in smoothies or vegetables in muffins, like not in a gross, like stuffing it in their way, but like in ways that adds flavor. Like sometimes I put shredded carrots in oatmeal and make like a carrot cake flavored oatmeal or like carrot cake muffins types of things. So I think, and also like when you have kids who have activities, dinner can be like a nightmare of logistics because there's like 10 minutes to eat. You have to somehow make dinner when you're running around town. So I think like if you have the opportunity to sit with your kids during breakfast or stand and lean on the counter while they eat their breakfast, it's the connection is the thing that those studies are picking up. It's the time between a parent and a child where a parent's paying attention to a child that matters. It's not the food. So just look for like those little moments where you can do that throughout the day and then take the pressure off of dinner. I love that. I'm talking to Amy and She is
0: the author of Dinner Time SOS and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is...
1: while
0: Let's talk about, I think another thing I loved about this book is that you acknowledge that making dinner is hard and it's not for everybody. I mean, there are people I had to have, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous how we have this idea that like, I got married quite late. I was in my late thirties and I had, you know, lived by myself and eaten what I wanted and, you know, eaten a lot of taken food and suddenly I was like, okay, it's new me where I want to make dinner every night for five people. And oddly, it took me like 10 years to realize that was not true, that I don't like cooking. And I don't, it's not a creative outlet for me. It's not interesting to me. I love to eat, but I don't, the things I like to eat are complicated. I'd rather get taken every day. I mean, it just, but I can't afford to do that for five people. And so some of the book is about keeping it simpler, not just simpler so that we're not like giving bad food messages to kids but keeping it simpler for ourselves as well.
2: I was just going to say there is like when I was talking to my editor about the like the types of ingredients I was going to use I was like so I'm just giving you a heads up there's going to be like frozen everything or like pre-chopped everything and she was like "Oh okay." Like <laughs> cuz that's not like super common but nobody wants to be chopping onions like on a, you know, on a Tuesday night. Yeah, I just think that, yeah, the idea that you're gonna,
0: and I will say we had a night this weekend, my kids have completely discovered dumplings, Chinese dumplings. And I had a long time ago taken a dumpling cooking class. And we made dumplings this weekend together. I mean, together, I did 90% of the work and they complained a lot. But you know, That kind of cooking I can do once a month. Like it's dumpling night or it's like, let's lay out a bunch of ingredients and make your own tacos. I'm not doing that on a Tuesday. I have a job. I I teach at night. Like I I don't have it in me. I need like chicken tender tacos. That's what I need. You know, like, okay, it's a little bit more than just a chicken tender on a plate, but it's not four hours of dumpling making.
2: Not that much more. (laughs) Right. I think they're like, I mean, I got a message from someone this morning that was like, I have my first kid. I don't know how you do it. How do you cook every day? And I was like, well, first of all, this is my full time job. And second of all, I don't like, you don't have to. Like, it does not have to be all or nothing. It does not have to be everything from scratch or only Chick fil A. Like, we can have like variations based on where we are. So I often will make like one. Thing from scratch. Like, I have a chicken meatball recipe that I love. That's not in the book because it was too messy. Like, the process I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone to put their hands in raw meat. Like, (laughs) so I will often make that and then serve it with things that are like, don't require that same level of cooking. Or, like, the example I gave of the dinner we had last night, it was a Caesar salad from a salad kit bag, it was chicken nuggets from the freezer and marinara sauce from a jar. And like, I quote, unquote, cooked it all, but I wasn't like, you know, making every single thing. And so I think just giving ourselves the permission to take the shortcuts, not, and we don't have to feel guilty about it. Like those exist because smart people in food marketing and packaging figured out how to sell it to us at the store. And I'm like, sign me up. Like, you know, I bought frozen diced onions at the store the other day. And I was like, you know what, like this seems like one of those things that one should not have to buy. But if onions are the thing that is preventing me from making a recipe that I know will taste better with onions, like buy the thing that makes it easier. I often say that if there is, if you're thinking about a meal that you want to make for your family, and there is a step that in your head, you don't want to do, look for the thing that is going to do it for you. And at the end of the day, like it might be a little bit more expensive, like it might cost you an extra dollar. But if that means that none of the other ingredients you bought for that meal go to waste, if that means you actually make the thing versus going and getting takeout, like that is going to be worth it. And then you get to the table with a better attitude because you didn't hate what it took to get there. Like that's, that really matters. And like, we just don't pay enough attention to that part. Exactly. And the,
0: you do some meal planning. I mean, everybody, we have a runner on the podcast about like, I never want to hear the term meal prep again. Like the idea that like, (laughs) Oh, it's really fun. You spend your whole Sunday. It's not fun. But dicing chicken breasts, like what, in what world is, is that ever? And again, it was kind of this thing in my head of like, this is what moms do. Like I went from being a regular person to a mom. And so now I guess I spend my Sundays... Cutting up meat pieces and putting them in glass contain Like, no, I don't never, again, I don't want to hear about meal
2: prep. Like making jars of stuff.
0: <laughs> the idea, like you have a very approachable kind of meal planning idea where it's okay for it to be all right, Monday night, we're getting takeout pizza because that's the night I teach, fine. Okay, Tuesday, dad knows how to make quesadillas. He can do that on Tuesday. Wednesday, maybe I'll like roast that chicken that I have and buy some mashed potatoes or whatever that goes with it or make them whatever. It's using the tools that are useful. I think meal prep, I understand it because if I if I have to open the fridge every day at four and think like what's for dinner, it just gets overwhelming,
2: Yeah. If you have a general idea of what you're going to make, it just can reduce your stress. And also it limits the amount of decisions that you have to make. So like, if I know that tonight I'm making stir fry, I know I'm going to get rice, either I'm going to pull it out of the freezer or I'm going to make it. And then like, I generally know what's involved in that recipe. And I'm not starting from scratch, which is the, that's the thing I want to avoid. I don't feel the need to be able to like open my fridge and have like all of the vegetables chopped perfectly, ready to go in the thing. But I want to know what the plan is because I'm going to get home at 515 with a four-year-old who would happily eat. Z bars for dinner. And so I need to be able to like get into gear so that dinner is underway fast enough to hit his hunger period. (laughs) Um, So I just have like general categories and I sort of basically know what's for dinner. And we don't stray like too much from the things that I know my kids like. But we do have opportunities, like if we go out to dinner, like we have a Japanese place that we really like, who has great dumplings, which is where we get our dumpling fix. You know, and then I remember that every day at school, my kids are getting different food than what they get at home. So that has also freed me up from feeling like I need to keep introducing new foods. They're already getting a lot of new foods. And so I'm like, I'm going to stick with what I know works.
0: And you also say, which I think is, again, totally like, what kind of crazy idea is this? Making foods that you like, like putting yourself at the center of the meal. And I think that is something that nobody thinks about. And... I know I grew up in a house mostly because of work schedules where the kids and the parents ate separately, and that we had Sunday dinner together. And I definitely had the feeling when I started cooking for my family, like, I guess I have to eat chicken nuggets for dinner now because they won't eat what I want to eat, which is maybe sushi. And they, you know, like separating the meals. And I really like the idea of keeping yourself at the center of the meal because you I don't want to cook for 5 hours and then listen to people complain and it's not something I even want to eat.
2: Right. Yeah, cuz like and also like if the kids are so unpredictable that they may not want to eat what you think they're going to eat anyway. So like you might as well get a good dinner out of it, which is like overly simplifying the situation, but I do think that you can have more internal motivation to cook if you are going to enjoy the thing that you're making. And especially as moms, we so often put ourselves last. Like we're the last to the table. We're the last to get to sit down. We're the last ones whose needs are prioritized. This is such a simple way to put yourself back into the needs of your family and make it be a little visible. Like, yes, I know that this is not your favorite dinner, but I really love this. So we're going to have this tonight. And tomorrow we're going to make this other thing that you love. Like that is really important for kids to hear and to see. So that is something that like, it is not, I find it still find it very difficult to always feed myself in the midst of, you know, life with children, but putting my preferences into our meal plan is something that is easier, um, has gotten easier over the course of time. And also the other thing I would say about the comment you said about sushi, something that I think that we do is that we sort of take away the opportunities for our kids with foods that we think they're not gonna like preemptively. Like, my middle daughter would eat sushi every day of her life if she could. And that is not something that I would have known had we not simply ordered like cucumber rolls for her at one point when she was three. We went to a family brunch the other day. One of the people who was there was like, What are the kids gonna eat? Like, I don't, and I was like, There's fruit, there's muffins, there's other stuff. It'll be fine. Two of the kids ate this like sausage, potato, egg casserole dish that like I wasn't crazy about. And they were like, this is the best thing I've ever had. Like, I would not have expected that. But since no one said anything to them to precondition them to not like it, they tried. Like I think we need to sort of just like quiet our views on what everyone is going to like you know, that's not to minimize the difficulty of feeding kids again, but that is, I do think that that sometimes happens. Yeah. And it's adult food. It's the food labeling. And I think that's right. That,
0: that just let it be food, just let it be a meal, just let it be family time and take the emphasis off Of the food. Uh, I loved this book. I'm getting copies for holiday time and handing them out because this is the book I really wish I had when my kids were little. Amy, tell us, our audience, where they can find the book. I mean, it's 2023. People know how to get a book usually, but tell them how to find you everywhere else you are.
2: Okay, so Dinnertime SOS is available everywhere books are sold. And then you can find me at yummytoddlerfood.com and at yummytoddlerfood on all of the socials. Check this book out. Really, really recommend
0: it. Amy, thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you.
1: Margaret, it's an exciting news day.